now. This is Rob here from Rob School of Music on an early episode on a Wednesday. Beautiful weather here in New York. And we're getting to hang out with uh, a quadruple threat, a whatever the fifth quadruple <laughs> version of that, Mr. Rosh Roslin. Hello, sir, and welcome. Hello, hello. Thanks so much for having me, Rob. I really appreciate it. Ah, dude, the pleasure is mine. I mean, yeah, you got one hell of a resume and, and just kind of, I'm so excited to pick your brain and, and just hear your story. Um, so for those tuning in or hearing this, whenever they hear it, we are a music school, uh, based about, uh, 35, 40 minutes outside of New York city. And due to COVID, we have been fully virtual for the past 12 months. We tried to flatten the curve for two weeks and it has been 12 months. Um, and it's been, it's, it's been a roller coaster, but you know, we're, we're coming up on about 5,000 lessons we've done virtually in the past year. So it's, it's been wow. a beautiful thing. That's amazing. And, uh, thanks, brother. Yeah. And and I'm just really excited to get to talk to another incredible musician, uh, you know, on the other side of the country, probably dealing with things because I know New York and L.A., we got hit real hard, real fast in the beginning. So what's your story, man? How'd you get into music? Let's start at the beginning. Yeah, sure. For sure. Uh, so I grew up, I'm from Hawaii and then I grew up in San Diego. So uh, the area where I'm from in San Diego is where Blink-182 is from. So there's a ton of pop punk bands. Um, I initially started out as a trumpet player, uh, playing in school marching band, you know, school concert band, jazz band, pep band. And then when I was like about 16, got into punk rock, you know, my friends were in a band and I remember it was like a party, like a house party. And uh, my friend was like the guitar player. And, you know, so there's like a hundred people like crammed into this living room and we're just, and I witnessed a, a punk rock show, like people are crowd surfing, going crazy. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. I want to be part of that. And so after the show, you know, everybody's hanging out and I, he showed me two chords and I was hooked and uh, I haven't put the guitar down since. Um, and so about, I think, uh, maybe like a year or two into college, I decided to move to LA and, uh. You know, so far I've made a living, have, you know, told my mom, hey, mom, you know, I'll get like a real job or whatever if this music thing doesn't work out. But I got to go do this and try it. And they've been very supportive. They said, hey, you know, go do the thing. You always have a place to come back to if you ever need to. Uh, and, you know, so far I haven't had to like keep that promise of getting a real job. Been a full time musician ever since. That's awesome, man. I, I love stories like that because. I think there's so many people, you know, I see it with students all the time. I tell the story often. There was a, there was a girl, I started teaching her when she was in 11th grade and the mom introduces herself and says, don't get too comfortable um, with, with my daughter because once college comes, she's done. Music is, it's just a hobby. Um, and then she went on to brag about her son who was on a baseball scholarship going into college. Well, fast forward four years later, that son hasn't played baseball in about three years. And that girl will be graduating this spring with a music degree. So, so yeah, there you go. And, it, you know, it's kind of the same. I, I kind of have a similar story to that because like, you know, I actually studied psychology and philosophy in college first. Wow. And uh, I ended up eventually like getting a degree in it, but it's adjacent. So the, the thing was, uh, when I was about 19, um, I was actually flying from New York. You're from New York. I was flying from New York. And then I actually ended up uh, getting what's called a spiritual. Uh, splen uh, what is it called? Splenic infarction. So basically, my spleen blew up on this on this plane, wow. and so they landed in uh, Arizona, and I had to like I, you know I blacked out, and then I woke up in like the ER and everything like that, and you know so it was one of those like near death incidences or whatever, and that in my mind you know basically said okay life's short, things could happen at any time. 
this was like a total fluke just happened just out of nowhere um so you might as well like pursue the things you're absolutely passionate about because you know you never know if you're going to live five minutes five years 50 years 50 you know like all those things happen so i took that upon myself to go okay you know what i'm just going to go for this music thing um and there's always going to be like quote unquote backup plan you don't need a backup plan but more it's just like you might as well spend your life doing the things that you're really, really passionate about because, you know, you're going to get rewarded either way, regardless of if you actually make a career out of it, you know, uh, playing music, even if I was, you know, like, I don't know, an accountant or something, I would still be playing music on the weekends and like a cover band, or I would still be playing guitar just for the pure enjoyment of it. So it really feeds your soul in that way. And um, I think that like, you know, even studying music on a college level, like, you can totally do that. You don't need to have like a quote unquote degree to be a musician. You know, it's just one of the things like you either can do it or you can't. And there's so many levels of like how you can do this thing. You don't need to even be full-time professional. Um, you and I were talking about that offline where it's like, there's no shame or there's no, um, there shouldn't be a stigma against musicians who maybe do something else as like a day job or they do something else part-time or whatever because like even for myself like i'll do stuff that's like music adjacent you know i'll do like web development or video editing content creation for clients and everything like that and even though it's like within the scope of doing music it's not like i'm playing guitar on stage or playing guitar for artists like 100 percent of the time and those things are just as enjoyable to me as you know playing you know a gig or doing a session or anything so yeah i would say to people who you know have this kind of notion maybe like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I should pursue this in college or whatever. Just do the thing that makes you happy. You know, life's super short. And, you know, I'm living proof that you can take a chance and it's okay if you fail. I failed a hundred thousand million times, but you might as well, like you owe it to yourself to like never like question like, oh, what if, if I didn't do this thing? What if I didn't, you know, pursue it? Because those are the things that you're going to like be on your deathbed, like, wondering you know regretting going like oh my god i could have done that thing i should have done that thing i should have at least given it a shot i completely completely agree and i think that's something that we really try you know when i'm speaking to whomever i'm getting to talk with throughout this whole uh interview process at my first interview happened the first week of april um last year so you know we're coming up on on 52 plus amazing conversations i've gotten to have with musicians and I think one of the things that the pandemic showed us was like, like for me personally, like outside of the school, I had an acoustic duo with uh, my girlfriend, Samantha. She's a singer. She's a voice teacher here at the school. Um, and we did like a thousand plus gigs in a five-year period and 2020 was booked up to be great. And then 2020 happened yeah. and having, you know, Rob school of music, which was, you know, sort of a, a way, just like you said, to do something adjacent to performing, teaching, it gave me the opportunity to keep doing something musical. And, and it, as long as there's something creative inside of it, I think there's something to be excited about while we're doing it. So I think it's awesome. I think that be it video editing, web development, all that stuff, I think it all connects in a really cool way. You just kind of remove that silly stigma of, well, well, you don't play guitar 24 hours a day. Well, no, no, that's, that's pretty unrealistic. <laughs> yeah. And you know, uh, like to have a career in music, I mean, you're going to be doing a million things anyway, right? So I talk about this concept, you know, I wish I could claim, but it's decentralizing your income, right? And if 
if you, let's say, have a nine to five day job, that means 100% of your income is tied to this one job. If you that job disappears, like the pandemic, totally, it happened to a lot of people who had a quote unquote secure job. I mean, they lost their job overnight. And so their income goes from zero, or I mean, so it goes from 100 to zero in like a blink of an eye. And so, you know, I find that musicians, we're so resilient because we're used to doing a lot of things. Like you have the duo, you, you, so you're playing gigs, there's a little stream of income there. You're teaching, so there's a little bit of stream of income there. If you're doing sessions, there's a stream of income there. Mm -hmm. To me, I view it like a river of nickels. I have all these little things that I do that are all related to music that when the pandemic happened, I, I had like a calendar just like you booked up. I was like, oh, cool, like South by Southwest is coming up. You know, maybe there's going to be some touring for Coachella into the summer, all these gigs you know wedding season i'll be playing a bunch of weddings yep. and then all that just kept going like it was like a domino effect and i was like and like every musician in la i was panicking too i was like oh my god what's going to happen what's going to happen and then i realized i was like okay but i have all these other income streams that are completely independent of me actually being there in person i was already doing remote sessions i was already doing remote work like remote video editing remote production you know mixing for clients, you know, songwriting, doing sessions, like for clients that don't live in LA, like non-person, you know, just track and logic, Dropbox the stems to the client, they, you know, they Venmo you or PayPal you. So I had this little infrastructure of income that actually didn't get affected at all. And it was only like the stuff that I needed to be in person for, like gigging. And I've been, again, really grateful, really lucky that during the pandemic, all that stuff actually like increased to kind of offset all the gigs that disappeared because of the pandemic. So, you know, decentralizing your income is actually a good strategy because if you have all these income streams from different sources, if one disappears or a couple disappear, that's okay. That means you have all these other ones that can offset that. You know, it's the same thing of like, um, you know, in LA, LA is a big touring town, right? A lot of um, musicians, like, you know, they tour with artists and stuff. And that can be a little bit, you know, dicey or dangerous because if you're on tour with an artist, you have to say no to everything else. You can't be there in person. And so if the tour, you know, when the tour ends or if the, you know, the artist decides, hey, I'm going to go in the studio for two years and like make my next record. And then your touring gig disappears. You don't have any income coming in. So I think like, you know, for people who are considering trying to be a professional musician, it's always just important to like realize that one, have a bunch of sources of income. Does it, music related or non-music related doesn't really matter. There's so many musicians in LA that, and we're talking people who play with the top, 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 top stuff. Um, that all have different income streams that are even aren't related to music. So like Jason Sutter, he plays for Cher. He plays for, um, I can't remember who else he plays for. Um, he, uh, he is also has a real estate license. So he buys and flips houses. Um, a friend of mine, his name is Sean Hurwitz. He plays for Enrique Iglesias, same thing. He has, he buys and flips houses. He has like rental property out in the Midwest, you know, and he loves it. The thing is, it's, you, you got to be passionate about it. You can't just think, oh, I'll just get into X, Y, and Z and that'll like offset my income or decentralize my income. You have to also like be passionate about it. So, but those guys, when you talk to them about real estate, their eyes light up. Just like if you talk to them about like guitars or guitar pedals, they go, oh yeah, man, I got this you know, I'm thinking about investing in Florida, you know, maybe, or like over in here, you know, I, I, maybe I'm thinking commercial right now. I have residential and like Sean will just talk my ear off about that. And I was like, wow, that's so amazing that you're so passionate about that. So I really love 
the idea of musicians also being able to do other things. There should be less of a stigma. And, you know, the pandemic nowadays, I think it's okay now. It's like becoming a little bit more acceptable because people are just doing things to survive. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it's finding the opportunity in the adversity because it has been a rough time for a lot of people who this was their full-time gig. So I think it gives us, and I, you know, one of the questions I always ask somewhere over the course of this, you know, I'm talking to like Nita Strauss or Richard Fortas, like big, big, big names that are in the group with the artists they're with. And it's like, well, what's something else about you? Because everyone thinks that you live and breathe music and I'm sure you do, but like real estate, that's an awesome thing, you know? And if I, I passionate about passion, it sounds cheesy. <laughs> so like, if you're like, dude, I am in love with black zip up hoodies. Let me tell you <laughs> this particular thread count and this kind of zipper. And it's like, that's, that's intoxicating. It, it, you just get sucked right into it. So I think it's really exciting to open up ourselves to other things. Yeah. I mean, you had Matt Halpern yeah on on you know on in an interview and i mean I, i'm a drummer too right there's like my drum kit back there and i mean he's like one of my heroes on drumming and if you talk to him he's he's got so many things he's passionate about that they're not just drums he's not like i'm just the drummer for periphery right. he has like a, an apparel line you know with like the deep v-neck and he'll 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 talk for days about that and i love how passionate he is about that where it's infectious because He's like, yeah, you know, like you said, the thread count of all those things. Like, for for example, like, uh, I love software. I love coding. I love, you know, solving algorithms and stuff like that. And my my brain just kind of works that way. They're like little puzzles. And um, I was always, like, reading books and doing puzzles and stuff. Like, I can't remember what the store is at the mall, but they would have all those little puzzles. Like, you would just, like, try to solve them, all these little sample puzzles. And I would just go there and just do that. And you you couldn't tear me away from that. So I would take apart my toys and stuff and try to put them back together. So, um, so I love, you know, uh, coding and stuff like that. And it comes from my parents, you know, their software, you know, they work in software and everything like that. So it kind of rubbed off on me where, you know, like, you don't want to do things that your parents do when you're growing up. And especially I was like a punk rock guy with like a mohawk and stuff. And I was like, yeah, you know, rebel, and all this. So I was like, I can't do what my parents do. That's like lame. That's uncool. But now like I've come full circle where I was like, wow, this is really fascinating. So for me, like coding, it, you know, understanding how a computer works and all those things are something I'm super passionate about. It's also something that I feel is going to be super relevant in the future for any creative, anybody who is a creative a musician, artist, anything, you should know how to use a computer. You don't have to like code, but like if you're a musician, like knowing the Adobe suite, like knowing how to use Photoshop, knowing how to use Premiere to edit video, knowing how to use Logic to record. These kinds of things are, are going to be useful skills that, you know, I've gotten paid for. And not only that, but I've gotten paid to teach other people how to do it. So it's going to be those things where somebody is going to be assumed at some point, you know, if it isn't already where like if you're a musician, it's like, hey, you know, I love the way you play. Can you play on my this track or record? And they're just going to assume that you can record yourself. Right. And then, they, and then like, you know, this video, you know, you can strip the audio, make a podcast out of it. All these digital assets are going to serve you in the future. You can put them on Instagram. You can make a podcast, put it on YouTube, put it on Facebook. And all these, uh, you know, digital assets are going to just kind of keep serving you in the future. Like you're wearing an Axefx 3 shirt. So like at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, I made a bunch of Axefx tutorial videos, just put them up on YouTube. Just said, here's some basics, how to program an XFX. Like, here's like, you literally just got it out of the box and you don't know what to do. 
here's some real basic stuff because um, I've run into situations and have clients that, you know, when they act, they come to me, I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to build you like presets that are going to sound like Pink Floyd's The Wall and all this craziness. And they're like, I don't even know how to turn turn the tuner on on the Axis FX. I was like, oh, okay, let's start with the basics. Sorry, I get so excited like going, you know, to like that level. So I was like, okay, how to use like the tuner, how to build a basic preset, how to run in stereo versus mono, all these things. And so, you know, understanding like the technical aspect of what we're going to be all experiencing in the future is going to be an asset that is going to serve every musician well, any creative. Because if you can create content, that content lives on the internet forever. It's always working for you. So these YouTube videos I made at the beginning of the pandemic, people still contact me about them. Hey, I stumbled across this YouTube video. You know, they send me an email. Um, would you be, uh, can you walk me through how to build a sound like this guitar player? Or, And then, you know, I go, yeah, sure. Let's jump on Zoom. And then I walk them through how to like send audio to me through Zoom. And then we talk about what sounds they're looking for and kind of how to build presets and, you know, solving problems. So that's a source of income like anything else. You know, it's music related. I'm kind of playing guitar, but I'm helping somebody else out there who may have a problem. And I've have clients that are like, in India, I have clients that are in the UK, I have clients in New York, you know, they're all over the world. And so people are, you know, we're all like, especially with the pandemic, we're, we've all had to like transition online. So a lot of people, uh, there's so many opportunities out there for musicians that you don't need to just be playing gigs. You don't need to just be teaching lessons or doing sessions. All these different income streams can come in and help you, um, you know, have a career and survive, you know, during this pandemic. Totally, man. I think the stuff you said about just being on top of technology, I think it was, you know, even within the ecosystem with the music school here, like we had the second COVID death in the state of New York occur right in Suffern, New York, where we are before New wow. York city got crazy. And I was alerted of that a little bit before it became super public knowledge. So it was like a Saturday, we did our lessons, we were washing our hands, but we knew something was coming. And I got the phone call and I said, we're going online. And I had to learn how to use Zoom, teach all my teachers how to use Zoom, teach all the students how to use Zoom, get everyone ready to go uh, for Monday's lessons. So it was like in, you know, a day and a half, like just boom, do it. And it was eye-opening how many other musicians that that I employ had no clue how to do any of this stuff. And then the all the all the students that range from, you know, five years old all the way up to in their 70s. People just don't know these things. And I agree, like it's it's almost like this knowledge is almost like gonna become like currency. And the more you know, the more you can do with it, the more value valuable you become. And I think, you know, again with the Axe FX stuff, I got mine over here. And uh I'm still using all the stock presets because I can't figure it out. So I'm gonna hire you to help me with that. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, they're great, you know, but you're absolutely right. You know, it I I I talked about this in like a different podcast, but the using a computer or just using technology is going to be is so important because if you look in human history there's all these like you know fluctuation and influx points of where most of the population couldn't do something and then somebody you know a small segment of the population could so back in the day you know most of the human population was illiterate so those who could read had controlled everything they had all the power because they're like hey it's written here i know how much you owe i know how much i owe i know how much like XYZ, you know, bales of grain or whatever, they could just keep track of all these things, just writing it down and reading it. You know, they're reading from like religious texts or whatever. And they're saying, well, this is what the text says. Since you don't know how to read, 
we they can make it up or right. whatever and then you get to like the industrial revolution right and like so people who could engineer and make machines and make factories those people had a significant advantage over everybody else because they're building things at a accelerated rate um if you understood how to engineer things, how to build factories, you know, now we have these like mechanized hierarchies of building a factory to build, you know, cars or whatever. And so people who knew all those things had an advantage over people who didn't know engineering. So now we're again, we're at this influx point where there's this there's a, se a large segment of the population like can use a computer and I, I say that really lightly where it's like they can check their email go on the internet and all that but then there's like this small segment who like really understands like how to use certain types of software whether it's like the adobe stuff or doing code or doing all those things and you'll see that they have a significant advantage over everybody else because they can make a program make a website do all these things that scale infinitely it doesn't cost you anymore to give like record like a guitar lesson and then sell it for like a dollar on the internet you know it just generates itself so you have this incredible leverage with a computer or with technology that hasn't really been seen before in human history and there's going to be this like gap as things go along where the people who can't do that or they only understand really simple stuff and then the people who don't there's going to be this widening gap so like for example like in covid like here in california the first tier that opened up was people who are over 65 and so they were having trouble booking appointments you know like i had friends who were like oh my god i couldn't get my parents an appointment booked on this website because they couldn't do it themselves so they had to do it and they were struggling doing it so i mean that is kind of a tragedy if you think about it because then that's the barrier of entry. If you can't use the internet and you can't like get through this barrier of entry, then you can't get vaccinated and be safe and actually or like be healthy. Dying because of that. Like, yeah. And you know, that's one of many examples. There's better examples that are like, you know, a little bit more positive where it's like, Hey, if you can build something that scales, like you don't have that, that income just like generates while you sleep. So one of the things that I, you know, read in a in a book about this was like if you want to like make things if you want to like earn income while you sleep build things that don't sleep it's kind of obvious but you know the internet doesn't sleep your computer doesn't sleep content that you create doesn't sleep like you know all the interviews that you have they're up there so people can just like listen to them and then they'll they'll contact you they're like oh wow you know i really love the interview you did with matt halpern you know um you know how can maybe you have subscribers that you know, f stumble upon a podcast and then they go, oh, Rob's really cool. I, I, I want to sign up lessons for school since it's virtual now. And yep. people are like, it's interesting that like it, it seems so obvious, but a lot of creatives aren't taking advantage of all these tools that are out there now. And I try to be on the forefront of that. I'm lucky that my parents work in software. So I get to kind of hear what like the bleeding edge technology is. And but any creative can do this. You don't need to like be a have a computer science degree or any of this that so you just need to like kind of get your feet wet focus on the things that you can do and even the learning process online is so cheap or free you know or just hire somebody if you don't want to do it just hire somebody who can you know like and there's plenty of people out there who love doing this stuff they eat it for breakfast and then they can create content for you that scales brings business to what you do as a musician and a creative yeah 
Yeah, I think it's it's important for people. You know, it's it's similar. It, it cycles back to to teaching, honestly, because if someone's going to hire, you know, a guitar teacher, well, yeah, you could just go on YouTube and watch free videos, but maybe there's certain things that aren't clicking. So to have someone on the other side of the screen to say, oh no, well, your 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 thumb is in front of the neck. What is it doing there? You know, you got to have your thumb behind the neck at all times. These little things that you might not know. So I think it's important for perhaps the consumer to be. Um, aware that it's okay to pay for something because you're paying for that um, expertise and and it's sometimes it'll make the from point a to point b happen much quicker if you can just expedite it by having the proper parameters around you yeah and you know i th i i like i'm an educator and i i give guitar and drum lessons and stuff and and you know a lot of times people go well like why would why should you pay for lessons or why should you sign up for like a school a music school like a virtual one or even doing it in real person and it's like because they go oh the content's already all out there but that's the thing you're not you're not selling the content right. you're you're you as a music school you're selling the organization because all that content you can search guitar lessons on youtube and then you're going to find one guy who's teaching you like the harmonic minor scale and another guy who's teaching you like a basic g chord and you're not going to know which one's which one you should start on if you're a beginner student or even an intermediate student so instead what you're selling as a educator is organization you're you're selling a way to know that a to z and all the points in between is going to be uh, presented in an organized manner it's going to be catered to the students needs and goals because i mean if you're not interested in shredding and playing harmonic minor it's not really worth your time to like practice that if you're trying to like learn folky songs it's like a g chord a c chord a d chord and so you're selling the organization you're selling the community because your your school is going to be a community of students whether mm -hmm. they're in new york or virtual or whatever so you they you can gauge where you're at with the progress of the people that are part of your program you're also like selling like the fact that your all your teachers are unique they have a, a unique approach and a unique style that is going to you know maybe align with the student better like so you know sometimes and i've had this experience with teachers too where like i've studied with teachers where i was like okay well you know a lot of our goals are not aligned my goals as a student and your goals as a teacher don't really click and that doesn't mean that i'm a bad student or you're a bad teacher it's just that we're not we're not looking at the horizon the same way where i want to end up through your education isn't my goal doesn't it's not bad or good it's just different so a lot of times when people are thinking about education in that way, a lot of music teachers are like, well, I teach guitar. And I'm like, Don't, try not to think that way. Instead, right. think like I, I sell and teach organization. I sell and teach a process, a method. Or I like my goal as an educator was I spent most of my early music upbringing completely confused, confused. And it was frustrating for me because I was like, remember being sixth grade and they're trying to explain time signatures and there was, I was like, okay, I understand four, 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 four. Okay. <laughs> counting to four. Then suddenly I would get a piece of sheet music that was in six, eight. And I was like, and I was like, uh, what does six, eight mean? And they go, Oh, that the top number is the subdivision that, or is the, the, the amount of notes in a measure and the bottom number is the subdivision that gets the count. And I was like, okay, I'm in sixth grade. <laughs> I barely can, you know, like understand math, like, you know, algebra, like basic algebra. So that means absolutely nothing to me. And so I felt like, like through a lot of my, you know, the early band stuff, I felt kind of stupid. And it was really discouraging for me where I was like, 
okay, I still don't understand why we're counting this. And then it wasn't until a teacher explained to me, he said, oh, oh, that time signature thing, the top number is how high you count and the bottom number is how fast. And I was like, it clicked right away. Yeah. Where I was like, oh, four, four is one, two, three, four. And then when the bottom number doubles in count, then you just count twice as fast. One, two, three, four, or one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. And I, it just instantly clicked for me. Now it may not click for everybody in that way, but my goal as an educator was to give that experience to other students where I was like, okay, I'm going to take all these really esoteric, crazy terms and concepts and try to simplify it in the easiest way. Like no matter what, I'm like, can I explain this to Rosh, confused one year, you know, music student who didn't understand any of this and just spent most of the time confused. Like, you know, I was a trumpet player. So they're like, oh, your instrument transposes. It's a B flat instrument. And I was like, you know, I was like, uh, what does that mean? And I was like, so, you know, I'm trying to tune the the trumpet with a tuner and I'm playing like a C and then showing up as like a B flat or whatever. And I was so confused. Like I'm playing a C, but the note's different on the tuner. And they're trying to explain it to me. So everything I do in education is, and again, that's my goal is like, here, I'm going to, I'm like the guy you see when you spend, you know, the first couple of years of whatever instrument you are confused. And I'm just like, I'm here to just clear all that up and then just like move you along to like the concepts that you want. Because a lot of my students, I'm actually spending more time undoing a lot of the damage and confusion from maybe uh, them going on YouTube and just going like, oh, I saw on YouTube how to play a minor pentatonic scale. And they have like this insane fingering or yeah. something, or they're like, I don't understand the cage system. How do I organize the fretboard? All these kinds of things. Or like as a, or drummers like, you know, like, oh, I don't understand the concept of the difference between groupings and subdivisions. Like, so my goal is always like, okay, I'm going to just like make this really easy to understand in as simple a way as possible. And then once you're, you understand that concept, it'll like open up where you want to go with this. And then, because I just didn't want anybody to experience that. I, I, that's why I've like, people ask me like, oh, you know, why did you start learning drums? And I was like, man, I almost quit guitar because I was just so frustrated. And it was one of those things where I was like, it wasn't because I was like burnt out. It was like, oh, you were like burnt out. I was like, no, no, no. I was like frustrated because there were certain things that I couldn't get or understand and couldn't get into my playing. And I couldn't figure out a way around it because I'm not the type of person to like keep hitting a brick wall and banging my head against the wall. Like, it's more like I want to like stand back and look at the brick wall and like try to figure out like the easiest, most efficient way around it rather than just like trying to like, you know, pound all the way through it. So that's why it's like when I talk to a lot of musicians of like, I'm like, hey, how are you know, they're like, hey, I want to get more students. What, what do you what are your strategies of doing this? I was like, well, what's your what's your goal as a teacher? Right. And a lot of them go. Uh, <laughs> and I'm like, well, you got to have at least a direction, right? There's got to be something. It's not like you have a method, but more just like, what do you want to do? Like, why, why is education important to you? Because if it's just something like, well, I'm a musician and I don't have enough gigs. So, you know, maybe I could always teach. And I'm like, well, then you're going to run into a student like me who's going to study with you and they're going to be confused and you're not going to be able to explain why or how to them. And then they're going to go on and just hate music. And I never wanted that whole feeling. I just somehow like 
that's why I've changed a lot of instruments because I was like, well, I was, I'm just frustrated with this instrument. I love music. I'll just move on to something else because I can't find somebody to kind of break down this concept for me. So, um, but yeah, I, I, that's why it's like, if you think you're just selling organization, you're selling a system, you're selling community, those things are going to be way more valuable than just the information because all the information's out there. It's already on YouTube and everything else. Dude, I, I couldn't agree more. And actually, you know, it, it's, in a different world and a closer time, you'd be a perfect guy under our, our you know, <laughs> ecosystem here, because that's what it is. Like, I, I think, you know, not to go too far down a tangent, but I, this is another, you know, big passion of mine is there are so many, again, I'll single out guitar players because we can be the worst sometimes that can shred like sweet pick and melt your face right off, but they couldn't teach someone how to, you know, play a three chord song because, it, it's a very different skill set. And I think that's important when you're being an educator and you're trying to, you know, take this knowledge and put it to someone else. You have to hit it from every angle you can till it makes sense. Because what, you know, a big thing here is I, we say, you know, we're going to teach you the way you want to learn because if what makes sense to me might not make sense to you, the way you just explained, you know, breaking down six, eight, that's a brilliant way to make sense of that. I've not heard it explained that way before. So boom, right now, just casually, you made something make sense in a way that, sometimes difficult to articulate so yeah cool. exactly and you know it, it's it, it it's so many like meta levels of things mm -hmm. right because uh you know it's not even just musicians everybody on the planet takes their own thing for granted like what yeah. you do like can you imagine like i always try to imagine this like if i could explain to somebody who didn't know how to walk how to walk like we take that for granted. We just like go, okay, well, I'll just stand up and move my legs. And, you know, and you have to think about it and go like, okay, well, do I step with my left foot first, my right foot first? And so there's so many things that musicians take for granted that other people would just like die to learn. Mm -hmm. And people do it so naturally, you know, like, uh, like Steve Jordan's like one of my favorite gr drummers, you know, and, you know, you, you, I would, you ask him like, oh, you know, like, how do you make your groove feel so good? And, he he's he's great and he's brilliant where he can articulate oh well i do this x y and z these are the guys i listen to these are the things i worked on these are the things that i'll actually do and i've heard so many interviews of him like oh yeah you know sometimes if i really want the groove to kind of start feeling more aggressive i'll just speed up which is unheard of like you would think a drummer is like going to have like metronomic time from beginning to end and he's like no way man like if you listen to charlie watts and ringo you know they just speed up at the end and it gives that energy that bounce at that last chorus and i was like Oh, that's why Steve Jordan is Steve Jordan. You know, he'll just be so bold and daring to do that. So, and here's the thing. It's like, there's some, let's just take another drummer. Maybe he doesn't, he does the same thing, but he doesn't know how to articulate that. So he doesn't make a really great educator because he can't articulate what he takes for granted. So I always try to remember like, okay, what I'm doing on the instrument may feel really natural for me, but a student who's been playing one year or even 10 years, they might go, I don't understand that. And so like even doing things like I'll do this before I start teaching, I'll take the guitar and play it left-handed, like just flip, wow. flip the guitar and go, okay, let's play Wonderwall <laughs> or some easy song like twist and shout, you know, and I'll sit there and try to play it left-handed and I'm go, Oh my God, this is the hardest thing on the planet. And I, then it really reinforces the idea that like whatever my student is dealing with, this is exactly the feeling where it's like, my hands don't cooperate, do not move in this fashion. I'll sit down at the drum kit and then try to play like open-handed or play the kick drum with the left foot, you know, instead of the right foot and just try to play like that. And I'm like, okay, they're dealing with this. This is really difficult. That's Even cool. like 
advanced players, maybe a concept's really difficult. So I'll even like crack open like a book that makes like no sense to me, like a Richard Feynman, like physics book or something, or, uh, you know, David Deutsch, like, you know, the, uh, what is it? Beginning of infinity. And I'll just like flip to some random page in it and start reading it and go, I don't get this. And then just to remember that, like, if I'm explaining something to somebody, I'll be like, yeah, you know, like the core tones of like a two, five, one, you know, are, you know, you, 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 you can play the root, the flat third, the fifth, and then the flat seven. And then you can, you know, do an appositure to resolve to the third of the five chord. They, they go, what? Um, I <laughs> have to remember that not everybody's like uptaking the information in that same way. So I have to like, you know, force myself to experience that same thing. So it reminds me like, this is what a student is dealing with, like the left-handed guitar thing all the time so that you have patience because, you know, we've all, I'm sure you've had the same experience. I've had experience with, uh, I've had some incredibly great teachers and I've had some teachers that they're so natural what they do, but that they can't explain it. They just right. go, oh, you know, I've had a drum teacher who shall remain nameless. He's a great guy, great player. And I was like, hey man, I really love your groove. I really love your feel. How did you practice that? And he's like, oh, you know, like this. And he plays like the you know the deepest heaviest groove ever and i go yeah that he's like oh man it's like a feel thing you know you just got to feel it and i go like feel it like in time or like feel like the snare laid back or like and he's like you know you just kind of feel it you just and i go like i need a little bit more please yeah. help me because <laughs> i'm sitting there and i'm looking at a click on in logic and my time is not lining up with that i listen back it's like pushing and pulling not in a great way i just want to get your element and your approach to groove into that and then he couldn't explain what he was doing but he was doing it incredible so but then there's guys who like go you know like even interviews or teachers or whatever that can totally explain like um i've studied with dave elich who plays for like m83 miley cyrus he, 1975 like a ton of people he's like a like one of these like technical technical uh, masters, you know, in LA and he can articulate everything he does. It's so amazing where, I, you know, I've asked him like, okay, when you're playing with a click, what are you thinking of? And he's like, well, practice this. And he's like, play everything in time. And then like, you know, play the snare slightly behind the click slightly ahead. How does that feel? How does that sound? And then compare and contrast. And then he also is all about like body mechanics with his technique. He's like, okay, well, if you're holding the sticks like this, that's not what your hand naturally does. Like if you throw a ball. So take a, the same look at the motions of your hands of throwing a ball. That's how you would want to hit a snare drum. Wow. And he fixed a lot of like technical challenges that I was having. Cause I was hitting these brick walls of technique and he's like, okay, well, we're going to fix this. I mean, he does some really incredible work. Like even he's like, yeah, your right leg's not relaxed. You know, you're digging the beater in. And I was like, really? And he's like, yeah. And he comes over up and he like picks up my leg. He just like, he's holding my leg and he's like, I want you to relax this. And I was like, He's like, no, you got to relax it. And then I was like, oh, like just letting my weight drop on the leg. He's like, yeah, you got like 40 pounds of weight on your leg. All you need to do is just pick up your leg and then just drop your leg down to like hit that kick drum. You know, those kinds of things like it, those kinds of educators. I mean, they're worth their weight in platinum, not even gold. Like and the ones that can explain exactly what's going on and what they can do. I mean, there's so many out there and they don't have to be famous, you know, like mm -hmm. there's always that weird misconception of like those who can't do teach. It's more like there's a really great heuristic. If you think if you meet a musician who does a million different things 
and teaching is one of them, that means they're a practitioner. They know what works. You yeah. know, like you, you were playing gigs, so you know what works on a gig. You know, like there is, these are the skills that you need to develop to be able to play live. Yeah. And then you can teach that to a student, like versus somebody who's, if you haven't done a gig in 20 years, how do you really know? You know, like versus somebody who's like, okay, these are the practical skills that you need. Like, you know, as drummers, it's like, do you need to play like a quadruple quintuplet paradiddle five over four fill? Or do you need to play with good time, good feel, zigga, digga, 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 crash? You know, like those things sound really good. And, you know, trying to play stump the band and doing some weird metric modulation while you're playing like Mustang Sally probably isn't going to be the thing. Yeah. <laughs> that's going to get you called back, <laughs> you know, but yeah, that's why I love like talking about education. And that's why I love like what you're doing with your, your program and everything. I think it's so amazing. Thanks, dude. I mean, it, it just, it, it's, I feel like I am talking in a mirror right now with <laughs> because it's like that the angle, you know, coming from a, a musician who gigged extensively in the duo, uh, you know, and I, before that I toured, you know, doing hard rock and metal music. So it, it's all different angles. Um, and then wedding band life where you need to go from six different genres over the course of a half an hour. Um, it's a real world, a real world music education. And I think that's, that's really what's special. Yeah, absolutely. And those, those kind of skill sets, um, you can't teach like, you like, you know what? I, yeah. You got to kind of like, cause you can, you can explain a con, you know, it's like, what's that quote by like, um, uh, the Marines used to say, it's like every, every plant, uh, plans never survive contact with the enemy right okay. so like something like that because like I, I come from a military family so like my you know but um the so if that, that totally makes sense you can have a plan you can just plan everything out like this is how exactly how it's going to go but what what happens when you stand on stage and then you forgot to tuck your cable through your guitar strap and then you step on it in the first song and it just pops out yep that you 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 do that once it's happened to me you will never do that again. <laughs> yeah. So every time I like get on stage, I'm like, oh, right. Through the strap. Boom. You know, like all those things. Like, what do you do when, you know, the singer comes in too soon or too late or comes in at the wrong chord? You know, those kinds of things. What do you do when the drummer doesn't really know the song? So you have to kind of like feel your way through it and cue the drummer. These are skills that like, you can always give somebody a heads up, like you can teach them, like these are things you're going to run into, but the real learning, because it's like a two-step process, you you learn an idea and then you apply it. The application is what really reinforces the behavior. So that, you know, I went to MI and I have a bachelor's degree in music and stuff and, and their education program's great, but there's a lot of stuff in there where it may not be applicable to everybody. They just give you everything. They go, here's like everything. They smash it all together, you know, and then they go, okay, now it's your job to figure out what's going to work for you. Because I have classmates that work in the arranging like sphere. They arrange music for like TV shows and all that. So all the music theory, all the classical stuff, arranging classes, they ate that stuff for breakfast and that's what they do. I haven't had to really do much of that. Most of my classical training and the, the classical music theory has kind of fallen by the wayside a little bit because it I haven't needed to apply it because I've been playing live but and it's the same thing it's like oh cool we can learn all the modes of the harmonic minor scale and then I got out and tried to do sessions and I was like trying to play like Alan Holdsworth licks or something over That's like right. a session dominant just for the hell of it <laughs> <laughs> yeah I was like what if I took this like outside it would be kind of crazy and then the producer would be like you know you hear over the talk back like 
yeah, that was that was cool. I hear what you're trying to do, but let's not do that. And I go, okay, cool. And and you know, and then I'm you know, we joke. It's like, come on, bro, whose record is this anyway? <laughs> you know, but you're playing for other people, so you got to give them what they want. Right. And so you find you you end up like having almost like a checklist. Like, okay, these things that I learned, super useful. These other things that I learned, they don't apply to me. So I'm gonna like let them kind of fall by the wayside. All those like modes of melodic minor I spent hours shedding, I haven't really needed to use them. But for example, playing to a click, playing with good time, you know, just the musical part alone. I mean, we can go down the rabbit hole of also like who you have to be as a person, but like just the musical aspect of alone has been really useful. Like I've done some film scores, so reading has been super useful. I wouldn't have gotten called for those gigs if I couldn't read well. And understanding what a cue is. So you're looking at the Q thing and I was like what's that number mean and the guys next to me is like that's what page you turn to bro like I was like oh okay cool <laughs> and under you know understanding those kinds of things like um those have been really useful skill sets for me and the same person that I would go to school with like has a completely different skill set because their application process in their career has been totally different you know one one guy that um that I went to school with. His name's Nick Perez. He's an amazing guy. And shout out to Nick. Hey, Nick. He just played on the Grammys, you know, whatever wow. it was, like two weeks ago. And so his skill set is like about executing live every single time perfectly, like in perfect execution. It's got to sound flawless, right? Um, so he really works hard on like, I'm going to play this song like 10 zillion times. And it's like on TV, making a good performance, making sure that this is executed flawlessly every single night of the tour that's a different skill set than let's say a session musician who has to be like creative in the studio or like if you're doing a film score where you have to like read the page and just like nail it in as few takes as possible all different skill sets all different classmates that i've had that all i've all done different things or like a classmate of mine was um uh, anderson pock right and his skill set is all about artistry like i'm going to create the most amazing music ever and he doesn't have to worry about reading he doesn't have to worry about, you know, uh, like executing this or that for an artist because he is the artist. So he's all about execute, you know, cr making something and creating something that's great. You know what I wanted to ask you before we run out? Because, I, dude, I could talk. I like <laughs> we're going to we're going to I'm going to grab your number at the end. We're going to text back and forth because I love the way your brain works with this stuff. Thank you. Um, yeah, thank you. This is incredible. Um so for those watching on top of all this incredible knowledge, you've also gotten to program the, uh, you know, you work with fractal and you've gotten to program the rigs for Steve Vai and Def Leppard and a plethora of other artists. Um, how do you get your name thrown into that hat? Because that's a cool gig. Yeah. Okay. So there's this concept and, you know, for, I'm trying to give everybody who's listening like actionable advice, right? Cause sometimes I find that interviews, sometimes they go, Oh, you know, you just got to like get out there. Yeah. And I was like, how? Okay. So, <laughs> There's a there's a concept and uh, I'll, I'll give the cliff notes. It's called a uh, uh, permissionless apprenticeship. Okay, you can be anybody's intern now, anybody in the world. You can be their intern. You don't need to even apply. Just do stuff for them. So, meaning that like if you idolize this musician or whatever, you can start just creating stuff for them. So like let's say somebody you let's say you were like a, a super famous artist or whatever, you they could. Some somebody who's interested in video editing could, you know, put a bunch of footage and videos together of your performances and go, hey, I did this and uploaded it for you. Right. 
they don't need your permission to do that. They can just put on YouTube, hey, I compilated all your music together in a playlist on Spotify. I compilated all these sessions that you've been on on Spotify or Apple Music. So I there's this concept that I use for Fractal. Basically, I was I was I'm friends with Justin Chikoski, who's the guitar player for Seos, and he hooked me up with uh, my first Fractal unit, with, which was an Axefx Ultra. And I was like, this piece of gear is amazing. Everybody was transitioning to in-ears, you know, at that time, maybe about 10 or so years ago for touring. And so what I did was I was like, this, this piece of gear is amazing. Oh, my God, I can just bring like a two-space rack and like a pedal board. And that's it. And just run on in-ears for tours and gigs and sessions and everything else. And so I just started posting content about it. I just said, you know, you know, doing another session, love, love this piece of fractal gear, hashtag fractal audio, put it on Instagram, put it on Facebook, just started spreading the word. Because again, I was so excited about it. You know, I didn't have like some tactical way. I was just like, this is really exciting. And at that time, everybody was still using tube amps. So after a while, I mean, we're talking like a couple of years of this, just like people were like, hey, you know that thing that you keep using? Like, I'm curious about it. I was like, oh yeah, this thing's amazing. Check it out. It's the Axefx Ultra. It later became the Axefx 2. And so what happened was in town, in LA, some people were starting to transition to these kind of modeler units for tours because it was for cartage, for travel. You know, people were using Kempers, people were using Helixes and all this, or maybe whatever preceded the Helix. And so my name started getting out there of like, oh, this guy, Rosh, he knows this unit inside and out. You should start talking to him because he can go into any studio, any production rehearsal room and just program the thing for you and get it working, sync it up with Pro Tools or Ableton or whatever. And uh, because I had like, you know, a technical background, I could kind of like do, you know, basically be like a tech, you know? And so I was hearing like one of the Perkar brothers would do this with keyboards, like back in the eighties, he would program keyboards. So I started just again, posting more content online, posting tutorial videos on YouTube, like here's how to program this. And so what happened was I was like doing really, you know, small bands that were maybe like, you know, the, the opening slot at Coachella or something, you know, or, you know, doing some smaller tour. And eventually, you know, I, the first big call that I got was Def Leppard. So the tech called me and he said, Hey, we're, we're transitioning everything over to fractal units. Um, and we hear you're, you're the guy, uh, we checked out your, your, you know, your socials and everything. And it seems like, you know, this unit really well. So that was, you know, X amount of years of content that I just put up just because I was so excited about this unit. Then I just wanted to help people that they called me in and they've, they were like the first, I guess, major, major, major artist, like, you know, household name, because I was like, oh yeah, I'm working for this band. And then, you know, they're like the, the, the little fine print in Coachella, you know, like the, or some festival date, you know, here's the South by Southwest festival show. And I was like, yeah, I'm doing, building guitar rigs for these bands, you know? And so that was the first big one. And that kind of opened the floodgates because once you get vetted or once you, let's say, have somebody who vouches for you, that becomes an exponential thing. So you kind of always just need like that first one, that first thing to believe in you or first person to just kind of give you a shot. And then the the people in Def Leppard's camp just started just throwing my name out there. So my phone started ringing off the hook every every touring season. You know, it was just like, hey, we got your name from so-and-so. We hear you're the guy to come in and do this. And it branched out from 
not only fractal stuff, but like I was doing stuff for RJM, I was doing stuff for Eventide. And it was like an interesting like uh, skill, you know, like intersection of skills where it's like, okay, I'm a guitar player, so I understand guitar tone. But then it was like the technical minded, like how do we get all these devices talking to each other via MIDI, making sure it's synced up with Pro Tools, all those kinds of things. And again, it was something I was super excited about because I had like, you know, an 80s cover band where we were playing the backing tracks and I was having it like program and control my fractal and switch, do all the switching for that. And we were on in-ears and all this. So I understood that, you know, how to do those things. And it was, again, it was one of those things that we talked about where things that you take for granted, other people may need help on. And I was going into these big productions where like the tech was like, I have no idea how to do this. And I was like, are you, you, your band plays arenas. Like your band, like I had your band's poster on my wall, you know? And so, and then you just kind of like start getting calls and being in this camp, you know, there's like, um, in LA, there's the Zappa alumni, you know, mafia or camp or whatever. It's like everybody who's played with Frank Zappa, they all know each other. And, and so, you know, they recommended me, I got the call for Dweezil Zappa and then, you know, Steve Vai played for Frank Zappa. And so that whole like little ecosystem, they, my name just kept getting thrown around in there where they're like, oh, bring Rosh in. He, he's the guy who knows how to build all this stuff, program it, get it working and do it fast and do it really efficient. And so, and, you know, a lot of the things that I was doing early on in like, let's say the fractal space caught, caught the attention of all the people at fractal. And so they said, hey, you know, your name keeps coming up. You seem to be doing staying busy in LA, you know, if, if you're, if we could, you know, can we call you at some point and then maybe work with some of our artists, you know, who may need help? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. You know, and again, it's something I'm super excited about. So, you know, a lot of companies that I, I'm involved with, they, they've, it's just been this organic relationship. You kind of like, just get excited about a product and you start making content. So this is like the permissionless apprenticeship. Just like if you're excited about something, share it with the world. Everybody feeds off of, you know, energy feeds off of like enthusiasm. So I was just always enthusiastic. You know, you're a guitar player. So you understand this. It's like, Oh my God, check out this pedal. It's amazing. You know, this like, Oh my, you know, I was that guy. I was like, Hey, check out this thing on in, you know, check out what I'm doing with this, this sound on Instagram, you know? And, some then it just plants a little seed in somebody else like they may see that month down the road they're at at some session and they go and you know maybe somebody hits like a a wall or something and they go hey we can't we we can't figure out this piece of gear and it goes oh i got a guy right this guy did a a wedding gig with like three years ago he's the guy who knows this stuff inside and out Let, let, let me give you his number and then again i get the phone call i was like hey we got your number from josh and i was like josh josh Oh, that the drummer on that wedding gig like two years ago. Yeah. Hey, what's up? And he's like, yeah, he says you're the guy to come in and do this. And then it's been, again, a, a really interesting, great, lucrative, creative part of, you know, my career where I've gotten to work with like a ton of my heroes where these are, you know, musicians that I idolize even to this day where I like go in and I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm here. Like working with Steve I has been amazing. And he's like one of my absolute all time favorites. And I was like, I remember walking in Harmony Hut the first time and just like looking, seeing his Grammys, seeing like everything and just going, oh my God, I can't believe I'm here. I'm like, and then, and he's, he's so amazing. He's the nicest guy. And he's like, yeah. And he's like, well, that's flow, you know, like his number one gem. <laughs> right. 
he's like, yeah, you know, it, um, I, I'm, I'm, you know, he's like, we're going to be doing this tour, blah, 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 you know, and he's kind of showing me around the studio and, you know, and I'm like, I can't believe I'm here, you know, and it's the same thing, like, you know, working with Def Leppard for the first time, like I, Def Leppard, they're, they are right next door to Rush. <laughs> so it's like in their big, huge, like rehearsal warehouse studio, like they're, their rehearsal was right next door to Rush. So I got to listen to Rush rehearse. I mean, all the things I've gotten to experience through just, you know, doing a bunch of different things in LA has been so amazing for me that I sometimes like I pinch myself and go like, I can't believe I got to do that. That's, you know, totally incredible. So, you know, if there's one lasting thing that I can like leave with all your listeners, it's like, if, if, if you're enthusiastic, if you're excited about it, if you're stoked about it, just like, just go do it, share it with the world because somebody out there wants to learn what you do, how you do it, and they want you to be a part of it. And I think that if you're genuinely enthusiastic and happy about these things, these are the things that, you know, are going to like return to you, you know, tenfold, you know, a hundredfold because uh, the world needs more enthusiasm and excitement because it's been a, you know, it's been a dark year for a lot of people. And I think like, you know, you had Rod Castro on, and I mean, Rod is one of the most amazing humans that he just, he exudes that energy of just like, Hey, come here, let's just be a part of something amazing together, you know? And I think that if you come from a genuine place, because if you're enthusiastic and excited about something that's genuine, that's why I like talk really fast. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm so excited about this. Dude, I do it uh, too. I'm like, I get like a 10,000 words in like a 60 second space because I'm the same way. Like I'm, I feed off of it, man. Yeah, exactly. And I think like those, those are the things that, you know, the world needs more of. So whether it's music, whether it's technology, anything like just share it with the world, people will come to you and see you and be, want to be, a, have you be a part of their thing and be a part of your thing. If you're, you know, if you have a real genuine love for it. Awesome, man. Thank you so much for, for all of this insight and just the stories and just, just, you know, it, it's, it's inspiring in all the right ways. Um, you know, I, I, I tell you super quick, I was, I'm a tube amp guy. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was so anti all modeling. I bought and sold various versions of the Helix, no exaggeration, seven times. And then finally, um, Jake Bowen from periphery, he's like, dude, you got to get, cause I went to high school with Jake. He's like, ah, okay. Max effects three. And I finally got one and it changed my life. And that's awesome. Are you to program it? So it's going to get even cooler. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Dude, Rob, right, thank dude. you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And I dude, love everything part. that you're doing. Thank you so much. And for everyone watching this in the future, all of Rosh's links will be below. So be sure to like and follow and subscribe. And um, we'll see you in the clubhouse. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Bye. All right, brother. See you.